Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we could all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May 20th, 2015, and this is episode 1578 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got what I think is an interesting show today, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you flat out that it's probably going to piss some people off. Um, it's going to make some other people really think and maybe come up with something really creative as a solution. Um, and it may bore some people. Maybe there will be some people that are like, I don't even understand why Jack is talking about this. I'll try to address the bored part and the pissed off part at the beginning of it. But I'm actually going to talk to you today about scouting. Like the Boy Scouts of America, the Girl Scouts of America, Campfire, and all of that stuff. And really, yes, focused on what I see as the problems with the Boy Scouts. And uh, the continued decline in the meaning and value of being part of scouting for young men in America today. And some of the things that I think are positive legacy, negative legacy, and where it could go from here. And why it should. And why, if we really mean a lot of things we say in the liberty movement, um, it's kind of incumbent upon us to do something a little bit differently than what's been done for over a hundred years and come up with a new model. And all I ask today is if you are a person who has scouting in your background or you're a scoutmaster or something like that, and you don't want to hear criticism that maybe you are the most likely person to fix the problems if you would be considerate enough to listen to what I consider to be valid criticisms today, and the fact that these scouting organizations, I don't feel any of them, are doing what scouting was originally intended to do, and in some ways I think that a lot of that needs to be recaptured and some of it needs to be let go of. And I have a unique model, and it's not really a model we've never discussed before, we've just never discussed applying it this way. And if you give me a shot, I think you'll learn a lot today, even if this doesn't seem like your bag. So please consider that. Before I do, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. By helping to make sure the show is here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today is jmbullion.com. When I'm looking for silver or gold... I go to jambullion.com and I'll tell you why. They're a small enough company that I can personally communicate directly with the president, Michael, at any time of my choosing. And that means as, uh, as someone that's endorsing them, if you ever have a problem that doesn't get resolved by their customer service, which is 99% of the time stellar anyway, I can make sure that it gets taken care of for you. And I think that's really important in my sponsors. Next is pricing. The entire point of buying silver and gold is it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. You get the same Silver Eagle from JM Bullion as you do from Atmex or Monex. It's exactly the same. It's the same purity, it's the same weight, it's the same design, it's the same cut. It is the same. It's like buying a Wilson basketball, whether you buy it from you know Walmart or Academy Sports and Outdoors. It's the same. That's the point. So why pay more? So why not deal with a company that's a small company, that has great customer service, that offers free shipping on all orders, and has better pricing when you're buying the same thing. Now, why silver and gold? 
I'm not an all-in guy. I'm not the guy that like, you need to get out of the dollar. They're going to burn it to the ground. It's going to be worthless tomorrow. By the way, give me your dollars and here's some silver. I'm not that guy. But I do know that the plan for our money is a continued devaluation through the process of inflation, which is a hidden tax on the wealth of the American people. And I know that's the case because the former chairman of the Federal Reserve said so on the floor of the United States House of Representatives while being questioned by Ron Paul. He admitted that and said, it's okay. That's the way the system works. It's supposed to work that way. Well, if that's the plan, then my plan is to make sure I have a wealth assurance policy. We talk about insurance a lot, but assurance is, is equally important. And the way I personally do that is I have 10% of my net wealth, roughly, in silver and gold. I recommend that you do something similar. My personal recommendations are that you consider uh, a wealth assurance program of 5% to 10% of your net wealth in hard commodities like silver and gold. And if you need silver and gold, I can't give you a better recommendation than JM Bullion. Check them out today. And remember, members of our support brigade, you do get a discount on larger orders from JM Bullion. Check the benefits section of your MSB account to learn more about that. Sponsor number two today is Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Uh, what are you going to get from Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason? Shockingly enough, you can get Berkey water filtration systems from Jeff because he is the Berkey guy, the actual one, the only Berkey guy. There's a lot of places you can get a Berkey, but I only know of one Berkey guy, and I only know of one person with Jeff's fanatical dedication to his customers. Absolutely beyond belief how dedicated to customer service Jeff is and to making sure everybody gets uh, what they were expecting, and if there's a problem, it gets corrected fast and properly. Uh, Jeff's been with me as a sponsor for more than five years now. That's kind of unheard of in podcasting. It's really kind of unheard of in conventional radio, if you really think about it, to have sponsors stick with somebody that long. He does a great job for this audience. I, I haven't had any real complaints about him in five years. I had one person mad, but it was well, the post office did it, and there's only so much a person can do about the post office. Um, Jeff just takes care of everybody, and he has the, some of the best pricing available because those years of great customer service have made him one of the top distributors for Berkey in the world. So he gets some really great pricing that he passes along to you. He also has a lot of other really great stuff for your prepping needs. You'll find all his Berkey stuff and all his other great stuff, like the Survival Cave line of long-term storable foods at his website, directive21.com. Again, the website for Jeff, the Berkey guy Gleason, directive, and the number's 21, followed by a dot and a com. Check him out today, and don't be the guy that got your Berkey from the non-Berkey guy when you could deal with the original, the one and only, the true Berkey guy, Jeff, the Berkey guy Gleason. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1578, because the episode's 1578. Alex Shrugged has three on deck for us today to choose from. We have the King's Ambiguous Sexuality and the Jefferson versus Adam Campaign of 1880. That's one, by the way. That's all one big long line. Then we have Bring Me the Heart of Don Juan and the First Thanksgiving in Canada. Yeah, the First Thanksgiving was in Canada. But I'm going to read the King's Ambiguous Sexuality and the Jefferson Adams Campaign of 1880 because I think there are some modern lessons to it that even pertain a little bit to today's show topic, believe it or not. King Henry III of France has not fathered any children, leading his critics at court to suggest that he's a little light in the loafers. It's a little more than a suggestion, actually. To foster this impression, the king dresses in sexually ambiguous manner, surrounds himself with men who dress better than women. These men are called the favorites, and it's obvious that the king is taunting his critics. It's just this sort of foolishness that leads to trouble. 
There is a lot of tension between the favorites and the House of Geis, so they decide to stage a mock battle, let off a little steam. It turns into mayhem. Two men lay dead. Two more dies, die days later. King Henry is playing a dangerous game and is going to get more men killed, including himself one day. Um, Alex Shrugg's take. During the 1880 American presidential campaign, Vice President Thomas Jefferson hired James Callender, a well-known scandal monger, to write hit pieces on his opponent in the election, President John Adams. Callender wrote that Adams possessed a hideous, hemodaphrical character which has neither the force of man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. This, along with other gems, got Callender thrown into prison for a violation of the Aliens and Seditions Act. Callender was a Scotsman. After, the, after Callender was released from prison, he demanded that Jefferson, now president, appoint him postmaster of Richmond, Virginia. Jefferson refused. This led to a series of attacks on Jefferson that resulted in the accusation by Callender that Thomas Jefferson was sleeping with his slaves. Oddly, Callender died of drowning in three feet of water. Definitely drunk, but was it murder? I'm not sure anyone cared. Long after the election, when both former presidents were retired, Adams and Jefferson kept up a long, warm correspondence. They died on the same day, July 4th, 1826. The more things change, the more they say the same. Two presidential candidates tearing each other apart during the election and being friends until the end of their lives anyway behind the scenes. I think there actually was animosity between Jefferson and, and Adams. There, there definitely was. And they, I think they, they mended their fences mainly because they were two of the only men in the world that would have understood each other. And it is ironic. They both died on the 4th of July in 1826, almost as if both had held on like were near the end of their life and knew it. And sometimes people actually do hold on for something. And in this case, it does seem that both of them may have held on to have... The day of their death be July 4th. Like, I've made it one more year since the big day, and now I can let go. Either that or it's a hell of a coincidence. It really, really is. Anyway, my take on this is even people like Adams and, more astoundingly, Jefferson, fell victim to what's known as the Iron Law of Bureaucracy as the nation was formed and competition for who would control and run it uh came to a head. More on that in a bit. Just keep that in mind as we talk about today's topic. Um, next up, do consider joining the Members Support Brigade. If you love the work that I do here on the Survival Podcast, uh, I'd ask that you consider becoming a member and supporting the show and the work that we do at 18.3 cents an episode. It is not a donation. It is a investment. If you are buying things in self-sufficiency world from the tactical to the practical to guns to gardens and anything in between on an annual basis, you will probably get more than your money back. Uh, that's how I've built the system to be a win-win-win system. i got a new vendor I'm bringing on this week that will be giving you a discount on comfrey cuttings. Uh, so I'm trying to do as much diversity as I can. I got another one. If you're out there, uh, dude, um, there's a guy that does, uh, infused vinegars and oils that are awesome. You sent me like 60 different little bottles to try. They're great. I've emailed you back like three times to get you set up. I think Gmail's eating my emails to you because I have not heard back and I want to bring you on board too. This, this guy's awesome. Um, but hopefully he'll hear me today and, and get, get with me because, uh, get in a Gmail and add me to your list of contacts or something because you're you're not getting my email apparently. Anyway, 
Before uh, I get into today's topic, which again is what I consider the open source scouting, and it's like did some research on this. I found out ironically the Boy Scouts of America has got their own open source initiative, and it's totally not what I'm talking about at all. But I want to talk to you about before I even get into the problem and what I see as the solution here. And the problem is much bigger than than scouting. Okay, scouting is just one of those places it's supposed to be helping to at least mitigate the problem, and I think it's 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 lost its ability to do that. The reason this is a topic for our show is I think most of the people on this show that listen to this show are concerned about our future. Okay, so if you walk through a mall or a city street or whatever, you look at all the the people that are a lot shorter than you if you're an adult, all the ones being led around by the hand by their moms and dads and things like that, all those kids uh with no you know no over overly uh dramatic in tones that is your future that's your future when you're an old man and, and incapable of doing many things for yourself anymore those are the people that are going to be running things and they are the ones that are going to make very very important decisions that are going to affect us all in our older ages and If you have no kids, so this doesn't really appeal to you, you, you better pay attention because you're going to rely on people that you don't even know at that point. So what we leave behind for them and how well we equip them going forward is, is really important. You know, and I think another thing that we have to look at is most of us are concerned about what we leave behind for others. And equipping them to deal with what we've already screwed up might be really important if, if, if we actually mean what we say. And I think most of us want to do good things. And one way we can do things is to help others. And I think the people that are going to need the most help right now are, are the people that are truly the, the young generation. We, we can keep beating up on millennials if we want to, but the people that are in their 20s and 30s are going through some, some tough issues. But that's part of being 20 and 30, and they haven't been well prepared for it. Well, the next group that comes into that, the next bubble that comes into that, That, that segment is going to be even less prepared unless we start doing more and more to help them become prepared. And we need to reestablish, in my view anyway, the multi-generational and inter-community links that, that made America a great place at one time. We're not different people. We're really not. But we've lost connection with each other, and we've lost a sense of understanding and belonging. And I think that one of the few places that that really had been preserved and still is to a large degree, to be fair, has been in organizations like the Scouts. And when I say the Scouts, I, you know, I'm going to beat up on, on BSA a little bit today, Boy Scouts of America, but I mean all of it, right, all of it. And what prompted this today from me is I will, yesterday I heard that the Boy Scouts of America as a national organization clearly has totally lost its mind at this point. And it's because they have now banned scouts from shooting each other with water guns because a scout is kind and that's not kind behavior. Now, look, guys, I, I grew up like a normal kid and we went to wet and wild and water parks and stuff like that. And they always had these big cannons we shot at each other. It was a blast. Um, my kids grew up and, and their cousin, my kid grew up and his cousins grew up, you know, with the super circus in the pool and shooting at each other. This is one of the most harmless forms of behavior and one of the most enjoyable things that kids can do to truly be kids that exists. And, and then on top of this, to, to show a complete disconnect with reality, 
It's still okay to throw water balloons at each other, but you shouldn't inflate the water balloon with more water than to make it the size of a ping pong ball. Um, that's actually going to possibly get somebody hurt. A water balloon is not designed to be inflated to the level of a ping pong ball. And if you throw a ping pong ball size inflated water balloon at somebody, it's probably not going to break and it's probably going to have a greater sense of impact than a full balloon that just breaks when it hits you. Okay? So th there's like these two totally different disconnects with reality here. And a lot of people are shocked. But I'm not. I I've noticed this from a long time ago that scouting's like in this downward trend and it's due to bureaucracy. And what I'd like to do right now is remind you of the iron law of, of bureaucracy. It is from modern thinker Jerry Pornell. And this is what the iron law states. And when you, if you listen to this, and if you are a person who is upset for anybody saying anything bad about scouting, I want you to really listen to this. And I want you to think about the things that have upset you that this organization has been doing in the last 20 years especially the last five to ten, okay? Pornell's Iron Law Bureaucracy state states that in any bureaucratic organization, there will be two kinds of people. First, there will be those who are devoted to the goals of the organization. Examples are dedicated classroom teachers in an educational bureaucracy. Many of the engineers and launch technicians and scientists at NASA and even some of the agricultural scientists and advisors in the former Soviet Union's collective farming administration. Secondly, there will be those dedicated to the organization itself. Examples are many of the administrators in the education system, many of the professors in education, many teachers, uh, and many of the, many of the people in teachers unions and officials, much of the NASA headquarters staff, etc. The Iron Law states that in every case, the second group will gain and keep control of the organization, It will write the rules and control promotions within the organization. So no matter how many people there are that I would call the mission-oriented people in a group, if it is to be a, a bureaucratic organization, if it is to have a central authority, there will be people who will gravitate toward the authority versus the mission. And those people, because their, their efforts and their energy and their time is dedicated toward the control, will always exert more control than the people that are dedicated to the mission. This is the iron law. It's not a glass law. It's not a velvet law. It's not a flower law. It's iron. Iron's hard. It's, it's somewhat indestructible. Unless it's hit with a, with a very, very hard hammer the right way with the right temperature, and that ain't going to happen here. Okay? Maybe it should have been called a titanium law to make it a little more clear. This cannot be defeated by any means other than the elimination of the bureaucracy and central control authority itself. It will always happen. And in an organization like the Boy Scouts of America, um, where you have so many people that are doing everything as volunteers and, and getting so little in return for it other than the, the, the desire to help others, it can be staved off for a time. But what has happened is the iron law has caught up. And if we actually look at the organization itself, it starts to get clear how this, this problem is inevitable here. This might sound a little dry, but I'm going to read directly from the, how the, you know, definitely directly from text here. 
as to how this is organized so that I don't say anything inaccurately because I know there's people out there waiting for me to to jump on this. And But if we actually look at this and understand the structure, we'll start to understand the problem, especially when I bring you one little tidbit from Forbes to go along with it and all this word volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. Okay. National Council. The National Council is the corporate membership of the Boy Scouts of America and consists of volunteer scouters who meet annually. The day-to-day operations of the National Council are administered by the Chief Scout Executive and other national professional staff. National Council members include volunteers who are elected national officers and executive board members, regional presidents, and local council representatives, members at large, and honorary members. The national headquarters has been in Irving, Texas since 1979. The BSA was granted a congressional charter in, 19, charter in 1916, now codified as 36 U.S.C. 309, stating that their purpose is to promote, through organization and cooperation with other agencies, the ability of boys to do things for themselves and others, to train them in scoutcraft, to teach them patriotism, courage, self-reliance, and kindred virtues using the methods that were in common use by Boy Scouts on June 15, 1916. The Charter authorized a set of standards for the incorporation of the BSA and provided for the exclusive right to use emblems, badges, descriptive and distinguishing marks and words or phrases that they adopt Finally, since the founding of the BSA in 1910, the President of the United States has served as the organization's honorary president during his term of office. Governance and the National Executive Board. The BSA National Executive Board governs the organization. One source reports there were 72 members in 2001, and uh, in 2011 report lists 77 members. The board is led by a national president, A volunteer elected by National Council, board members including regular elected members, regional presidents, and up to five appointed youth members. The chief scout executive is the board secretary and non-voting member. The National Executive Board has a number of standing committees that correspond to the professional staff organization of the National Council. Present and past members of the National Executive Board include... Former presidential nominee Mitt Romney, Ernest and Young CEO James Tooley, AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson. Other members include LDS Church President Thomas S. Monson. Okay, so you get the idea. There's this whole volunteer thing, but then there's this professional. Professional means paid. And there's this whole level of direction set by the entire organization that there's far more control in the hands of the professionals than there are in the hands of the volunteers. But surely, surely that that's not the case. Surely it is the, the volunteers that control things, right? Well, first of all, let's let's take a look. The, 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 the number given there was 72 to 77 in, in the members of the council that make all these decisions. Let's look at how many people do those 70-odd people exert control over? Um... In scouting, there are 2.6 million youth and over 1 million um, adult scout leaders. 2.6 to 1 ratio there, basically. That includes park scouters, troop scouters, crews, councils, all of them. 
Um, it's an awful lot of people to be controlled by 70-odd people. I think you're, 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 you're on the path to the iron law of bureaucracy at that point, are you not? Um, those people are dedicated to the organization. These other millions of people are dedicated to the mission. Now, what kind of coin could you get possibly paid for, you know, helping the Boy Scouts out as a professional? Well, I'm on Forbes right now. The Boy Scouts of America is the 28th largest charity. Now, if you know that, it's listed as a charity. And their annual revenue is $1.2 billion. But hey... They're not for profit, right? They're helping little kids learn to take old ladies across the street and all. You know, so what? They added a video game merit badge or whatever. Um, what do you think the highest paid employee is? You know, what do you think they made in, in 2014? And I'm on Forbes reading Forbes financial information here. I'll put a link in today's show notes. The highest compensated employee in the Boy Scouts of America last year was paid $1,279,062. Let me read that again. $1,279,062. How many of you that are part of this organization that want to defend it to the very end at this point knew that there was a guy up there that has more influence than you do where you're at being paid $1.2 million a year while a million adults volunteer their time to this organization. Do you think maybe there's a potential for an iron law bureaucracy problem? So I, I don't want to keep beating this up. I want to shift over to, to what I see as a possible solution here. But I, I do want to, like, let's acknowledge that we don't have what we think we have when we look at scouts today. This, this, this member-led, member-controlled organization that does really great things, that draws its, its, its history, by the way, from a, a British military officer. The United States is not the origin of scouting. Uh, the, the, the Great Britain is. We don't have a monopoly on this, guys. The tradition goes back to there. That's what this is supposed to be. And... We actually have a $1.2 billion dollar corporation with, with the chief executive earning $1.2 million dollars a year to administer and control an organization that we, we, we are paying an homage to that I, I don't think is quite there anymore. Now, no disrespect to the history, the intent. I mean, scouting kind of organized itself. It kind of happened like almost overnight. It's done some great things. I myself was in Boy Scouts as, as a youth. I started in Cub Scouts and worked my way up. When I, you know, I did a show yesterday about all the outdoor stuff I did in Pennsylvania. That's when I quit. When we moved to Pennsylvania, I'm like, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to spend more time out there than these people ever will. I'm tired of going over to somebody's house and sitting around and, and talking about crap. I want to get out and do this stuff. And, you know... I still got a lot out of it, and I have to tell you, when I was like a Cub Scout, getting like your 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 wolf and your bear was like, it, it requires some real effort. And I look at like some of the requirements now to get a badge of Boy Scouts, and it's just not that, I mean, God, if you looked at what a kid had to do in 1920 to earn the camping badge compared today, 
It, it, it's preposterous that we acknowledge an achievement for so little if we're going to say we're paying homage to this, this rich history and tradition. And I know that there's about 2 million people out there walking right now that are Eagle Scouts and are very proud of that achievement. And I think it's noble and I think it's great. And I think it can open some doors for you professionally. That's great. But <laughs> what are the goals of scouting? If we just get everything out of the way and just say, well, what are the goals? This is the goals that, that, that I believe most people that are concerned enough about the youth in this country to get involved and do the hard work of being a volunteer for scouts on some level, this is what their, 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 you know, their goals are. Number one, to instill a sense of honor, duty, and service in young people. And it just, I'm gonna let boy scouts go and say this is whether it's a campfire or girl scouts or boy, just scouting in general. That's one of the biggest things that we want to do. We want to have young people that come up with a sense of honor, a sense of duty, that there's a certain duty associated with being given all the opportunities that we are given in the world today, and a sense of service. That not only is there a duty, but there's service to be performed, and there's nobleness, And there's goodness in being of service to other people. Okay? The next is to promote doing your very best in anything that you do. I, to do my best, right? Okay? That's part of the, of the, of the pledge. To do my best. Not to be better than someone else, but to always do your individual best at anything that's worth doing in the first place. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing the best you can at it. It's okay, it's okay to fail as long as you did your best. And then you go back and try again and try again until you figure out how to do it. And you don't get told that you succeeded when you fail. Failure is part of learning. You do your best, then you're going to have times where you fail and you have to acknowledge failure. Okay. Another one is to develop real skills that translate into real life. Knowing how to do stuff, right? To not always have to run to somebody else and ask, how do I do this? Or can you do this for me? To be able to see a problem and fix it. Whether it's how to set up a, and see these things like setting up a tent and, and spending time alone in the wilderness, things like that. To have a, a challenge and then succeed on it. These, these skills translate into all walks of life from computer programming to the business world. Because you can't cheat. There's no cheat code for starting a fire with a, with a flint tool. You either get a fire or you stay cold. This is part of the core of the mission. At least it's supposed to be. The next is to understand the power of teams and learn both to be a leader and a follower. My experience with scouting, and it's the same in the military, and this is why the scouts come from the military, Ugh. which means a lot of the stuff we're doing, and you've really lost sight. When you tell kids you can't shoot water guns at each other at a pool during a camp out, you are really, really losing sight of the origins of things here, okay? But <laughs> one of the big things that I learned, again, from scouting as a kid and from being in the military is that You cannot lead if you do not know how to follow another leader. 
There has to be the ability instilled in you to understand both sides of the coin. You'll never be a good leader if you don't understand what it is to be someone who trusts his leader and follows him. And that we need young people today coming up and being able to take direction, develop their professional abilities, and then step into leadership roles. And that is one of the primary goals of scouting, is it not? To, to develop young people that can do that. That can both take direction and give direction. That can hand off leadership and be okay. See, that's another big thing. That's why I think kind of leads a little bit toward the anarchist world, if you understand what that means. In, in an anarchist society, if I am best fit to lead for, for a, a certain length of time, then I am trusted with that leadership and people trust me. And if I prove myself to not be capable or it becomes clear that that which I've been put in position to do has been accomplished and now something else needs to be accomplished and you are better suited, then I should be okay with stepping aside and letting you lead for a time and being your follower. And this is scouting. Right in the middle of something, you have a leader for a task, and you say, okay, you've done well, you're done, now you're in charge. Anybody that's ever been part of scouting knows that's part of the deal. And that's because it is important to learn both sides. To be able to respect authority and to be able to have authority. And you can't be a good leader without understanding both sides. So that's a core tenet. And, and, and leadership in itself it means that we have to have teams. Without a team, there's no one to lead except self-leadership, which should be an implied skill that comes with this. Okay, And then to develop real self-esteem by accepting and completing challenges. See, the, the whole point of things like the merit badges and stuff was, okay, so I want to get this badge. And to, to make it totally independent of anybody's you know emotions here, we'll just call it Merit Badge A. I want this badge. And there's these, there's like 15 requirements that have to be completed uh, to get that badge. Now, there's a couple different things here. On some things, uh, I'm going to complete this, and someone has to basically, like a parent or a leader, signs off that I did it. Some of these things are going to be on my honor. I said that I did it. No one really can prove that I did or didn't, but I would be violating my honor if I said I did something I didn't do. It's not really about the badge, it's about meeting the requirements so that when I'm acknowledged as you've completed all the tasks to, to be identified as completing this particular skill set, here's your little badge, Johnny, that Johnny then says, I did it. I accomplished this. And if you fail, you have to keep doing it until you actually get it done, okay, And once you do, once you get it done, then and only then do you receive the recognition for doing so. But the real recognition you receive is internal for yourself. I accomplished this. Now, I want you to start thinking about this, but I'm going to give you one more here. But I'm going to prime the pump now for where I'm going next. How many of the problems that we complain about in our young people today are being addressed by the words that I'm saying right now if they grew up with these things instilled in them? And now you understand why people that are volunteers and advocates of scouting are so, so fanatical in their defense of the organization and in their attempts to make it successful. Because it is that good. It really is. Okay, But the last one is to promote physical, mental, 
and spiritual fitness. There's a lot of religious involvement in some scout groups and some aren't. Some are built around a church that sponsors and gives a facility and most of the members of that troop are members of that church and there's some that are highly, highly secular but most human beings have a spiritual component. And if you are out learning to have a sense of honor, duty, and service, if you are promoting doing your best in all that you do, if you develop real skills that translate into real life, if you understand the power of teams and learn to lead and follow, if you develop real self-esteem by accepting and completing challenges, especially challenges that are connected with our earth and the wilderness and the hard skills that are the basis of scouting, you are going to develop a spiritual framework. Period. You might even be what we would call an agnostic, but you're going to develop a spiritual framework, an inner spiritual framework. And if you are a religious person whatever that religion may be, you will find a more connected reflection and reverence for your faith. Okay, the, the physical fitness is obvious. If we're out doing these things, if kids are running around and shooting each other with super soakers, soakers in a completely harmless manner and playing capture the flag and throwing water balloons at each other and learning how to camp and learning how to fish and learning how to hike, they're going to be getting out from behind the Xbox and be in better physical shape. And if you have a spiritual fitness and a physical fitness, you're going to have a mental acuity and sharpness and a mental fitness to go along with it. You're going to be able to think independently. These are the things that they're supposed to do here. Okay? These are the things that scouting's supposed to do. And it does. It does all of these things. It, there's, there's no question that the, the people out there doing the hard work as scoutmasters today the, 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 the youth leaders who are on the Eagle Path, etc., and the other organizations and their higher levels of performance and organization, there is no doubt that they are addressing every single one of these. But I believe, based on my observation over time, that their ability to do that effectively is in rapid decline because of the people that control and run the bureaucracy that tells all of the people out there in the field what they can and cannot do. And when we have such politically correct nonsense, as we don't shoot each other with super soakers because that's not kind and scouts are kind, then, then I'm telling you, if you said that, to a Boy Scout in 1930, he probably would have popped you in the lip for insulting him to insinuate that it's not kind to have fun with his friends. Maybe the honor would lead to the restraint, but he'd at least think about it. He'd at least think about it. Because when someone you have honor and somebody questions it, it's a big deal. And, and that's, see, I don't know if the people that are maybe upset about this, but going, geez, it's just another thing we have to deal with in our organization, and there's still so much good, really get the problem with that. That's what, that's what your central bureaucracy just told all the kids that you care so much about, that if they go to a pool and play with their friends and shoot each other with water guns, they're being unkind. And that every time they've done it in the past, they were unkind. That's what's being told. That's what you, that's what your organization's doing to your mission. None of this requires bureaucracy. There is no bureaucracy required to instill a sense of honor, duty, and service in young people. There is no bureaucracy required to promote doing your very best in anything that you do. There is no bureaucracy required in developing real skills that translate into real life. There is no bureaucracy required to understand the power of teams 
and learn to both lead and follow teams. There is no bureaucracy required to develop real self-esteem by accepting and completing challenges, and there is no bureaucracy required to develop physical, mental, and spiritual fitness. And there's no need to pay somebody $1.2 million a year to sit at HQ and tell you how to do those things. Because you're probably not doing a very good job of it under your own judgment if you're part of one of these groups. So the solution that I'm kind of putting out there today is what I'm calling the OSSM, or Open Source Scouting Model. And and I want to be very clear. I don't want to run this. I don't want to do this. I don't know what part of this I would even be if it takes off, if anybody does anything with it. Uh, but I don't care what it's called. I'm calling it this only for the purpose of communicating with you today what I'm talking about so that you and I are on the same framework and understanding of each other. I don't care what it what it is. I don't care how it would end up. But here's how I think it could end up in a way that would actually work and break free from the iron law. The the only real unification would be the five common goals or the six common goals to to instill that sense of honor, promote doing your best, develop real skills, understand the power of teams, develop real self-esteem, and promote physical, mental, and spiritual fitness. That would be it. And how exactly to get that done would exist under the control of individuals and groups that voluntarily choose to associate with each other. So that if you formed a group of this new scouting body, even if you call I don't even know if you call it scouts. right? It might be better not to. It might avoid legal battles, etc. I don't know. But... If you put together a group and you had four or five parents and, and 10 or 12 kids and you're putting them together and organizing this way, you would decide how to do these things. And by doing that, you would then have a choice of sharing what you're doing or not. You could be as private or as public with your information as you would wanted to be. And then the responsibility to vet leaders is going to be 100% of uh, 100% that of those involved. So does this guy make a good scout leader? Is he safe to send your kids with? Well, right now, I don't think BSA does much to to really vet that person out anyway. The guy making 1.2 million, I don't think he really knows who your scout leader is. So there'd be no false illusion of of safety. So then parents might actually pay a little bit more attention into who's actually running things. I think that'd be a good idea. And I know some of you are going to get very mad with me and say, we do that. I understand that. doesn't mean everybody does. It doesn't mean that there's not Susie Homemaker, single mom, who's busting her ass every day, who has a young boy that she feels needs male influences in her life, and just trust because it's Cub Scouts or whatever, that if I send Johnny there, it's all okay. If we remove the illusion that that's the case, then parents are incentivized to take a better look at the people they're trusting their children with. This false sense of security. I bet you there's most people out there that aren't familiar with Boy Scouts that are on the outside looking in that thinks there's a government component to this. You know, like the state will take care of you and protect you here. And there might be a government component. I won't say the F word, the other F word, the has an A as the second letter, but that's what happens when you do that. But it, it doesn't do what people think that it does. And the group would then be, basically the total group would be like a virtual nation made up of virtual tribes. 
So your troop or your region or whatever you voluntarily chose to associate with would be like a virtual tribe, and then this League of Nations or League of Tribes would become basically like a virtual nation. That, that's how I would, I would see this. And the advantages would be, number one, first and foremost, is the only way to be immune from the Iron Law. The only way you can be immune from having the people who gravitate toward the organization itself dictate and control the organization is to have no bureaucratic power whatsoever. The Iron Law can only be broken by eliminating the ability for it to occur. So if there's no central authority then there's no group of people that can come up with a stupid rule like, you know what, we're not going to use super soakers anymore. right? And then there's no more battling and fighting. okay? Do we or do we not allow gay scoutmasters? That's your choice. That's your choice. That's, it's completely your choice. Well, will other groups work with us if we do? I don't know. It's up to them. That's their choice. Because nobody's forcing anybody to work with anybody anymore. Right, So there's no national council that decides we're having our giant jamboree with 50,000 scouts in, in this one place this year. And if you know, come, come there and we'll tell you what to do with yourself. If you want to organize something that big, you have to find enough people that want to be part of it. And they often take on roles as to what they're going to do. And I don't think you'd ever have that big of a gathering. And I think that would be good. I think that would be a good thing. I think that most people can really keep in their head about 150 people that they really, really know. And that if we're going to solve a lot of our problems, we need to decentralize, not centralize. And that will be one of the biggest challenges here for people that are part of, of, of scouting in general, that like this idea, that want to make it real so they can fix a lot of the problems out there, to stop trying to re replace that model and, and come up with a completely new model where you don't really worry about what somebody in Virginia is doing if you're in Florida, unless there's a compelling reason for the two of you to work together. Like, you meet somebody somewhere and you find out, hey, I run a troop too and I'm in Richmond, Virginia, and you're in Tallahassee, Florida, and you say, hey, you know what, our troop's involved with this and we have room and you want to come. I mean, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. This national component would be gone. Central authority would be gone, and that's going to be the hardest hang-up for people. But who would? You, see, whenever that, whenever that comes up, whether it's you know anarchism, libertarianism, decentralized organizations, whatever, whenever it comes up, who will? What the person's actually saying is, I don't want to. I don't want to be responsible for that. I want somebody to do it for me. Well, that means individual groups have to figure out who does what for whom. That's self-organization. That's voluntary association. So, And that is, again, if you do not want an organization to become a behemoth and have a small group of people dictate to the majority what they can and cannot do, you have to decentralize. It's the only way. The, the, again, it's the iron law. It's not the perforated paper law. We can just tear it apart. It's not. It is iron If you give central authority to a central group, the central group will control the organization. You have to eliminate it. The next is it develops a healthy competitional spirit. And I'm not talking about when scout groups get together in larger groups and they have like Troop A and Troop B play hide-and-go-seek against each other or do tug-of-war or uh, both go on a hike and who gets home first or who accomplishes their tasks. The best. No, what I'm talking about is 
if we look today and say, well, what does the Boy Scouts of America say that you have to do to earn a badge for fishing? <laughs> you, you look at it and go, really? But what if there were 50, 60 groups out there that all came up with their own program to develop the skill of fishing, and all of them you know, had this, this kind of portal website, or maybe even, a, like, like one thing I've theorized is having like a site for this where everybody can contribute, but what if you didn't do that? What if you just used existing platforms so that that was just taken care of, like Facebook groups and, and YouTube channels and stuff like that? What if it was just like there was a site that just aggregated, like here's the group for this, 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 and this, and then all of the activity actually took place on third-party platforms to totally decentralize the organization so that there's nothing to attack, right? Something like that. But if you had that... And all these different troops were saying, here's our program. If you want to emulate it, change it, do whatever to it, here it is. This is what we've come up with to, to teach fishing skills. Then you would have 60 different options. And which one made sense for you might be different than which one made sense for me. Fishing in Pennsylvania is a lot different than fishing in Florida. Do you have a marine coast in your state or not? Are you in a southern or a northern state? Do trout exist in your state? I mean, this type that, that type of thing alone would just lead to so much innovation. We get more innovation when more people participate with more freedom in how they participate. But what if somebody makes a program where it's so easy, everybody just gets a badge? I think we already did that. Okay? But that's not your problem. Again, what somebody does in Virginia or Washington or Alabama isn't your issue. Your issue is what you do with your group. See, th this is this is why this is powerful because it would if you're struggling with that right now, understand your grandparents taught it to your parents who taught it to you and you're teaching it to your children and they're going to teach it to your grandchildren. This concept that we have to worry about what everybody else does and control everybody else instead of focusing on me, myself, and I and the people that want to work with me. This is a way to break that piece of the chain that, that sits around the neck of so many Americans. Remember, I've told you, I think the average American citizen today is not only a slave, but a slave with very shiny chains around their neck, their, their ankles, and their wrists. And they polish their change and they actually get angry with you when you point to them and ex explain to them, these are holding you back. We are now in the fourth or fifth generation of teaching that behavior. The chains have gotten larger, they've gotten heavier, and they've gotten shinier and prettier and they have more gold on them and more jewels on them. But they're still chains and they're holding us back more than ever before. This breaks that chain. And I don't know if, and this is what I'm saying, even those of you that say like the scouting, I don't care. Like this is an important component to your individual freedom and liberty to understand this. That as long as you're worried about what someone over there is doing, you're focusing outside of your sphere of influence and you're focusing on, 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 on something that's making you weak and easy to control. And that's what I want to break for people. And in developing these healthy competitions, we create that independent innovation. 
So that, that we will – what do you think? Think about the those of you that have been involved with scouts and know the quality of the people that are involved and the quality of the young men that are involved. If for the last hundred years, instead of being told what to do and having the requirements made easier and easier and easier and the restrictions increased higher, 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 that the, these quality men, these quality boys, these quality women, these quality girls and all these scouting organizations have been encouraged to innovate – To innovate. What if instead of putting restrictions on the Pinewood Derby, we eliminated them? Do anything you want as long as it goes on that track. No weight restrictions, no nothing. Build it out of anything you want. So we want to make everybody evil, even, right? We're going to worry about the paint job and what have you. And the weight has to be the same. And now we make kits so you don't have to figure out how to get the weight right and what have you. What if we just said you can do anything you want? Well, I want to put some kind of propulsion system on it. Go ahead. <laughs> some of you are struggling with this. But the whole point is so they have to work within the confines of... Oh, think about that. So they have to work within the confines. It's not malice. It's well-intentioned. It does a lot of good. I'm just saying that just because something does good doesn't mean it couldn't do better. What if we'd really, for a hundred years taking what I believe are some of the most quality people in this country, because that's what I believe the scouting groups are, and encouraged a spirit of unrestricted innovation. What might we look like today as a society? The next thing is that we would develop 100% voluntary groups. We would start to actually promote that component of voluntarism. You don't promote voluntarism with anything but voluntarism. You can't instill it with force. You can't organize it with authority. You just have to demonstrate it. And I think that we would be better off if most people in our nation today solved their own problems. And the way you do that is through voluntary associations. You don't force integrations. You don't force people to associate with people they don't want to associate with. But what if my son is not wanted by that group? Well, what do you want to do? Shove him into it so that he'll be picked on and abused rather than teach him to find people like himself that will accept him for who he is or your daughter for who she is? Well, what if somebody doesn't have anybody? then why don't you step up and be that somebody instead of bitching about and wanting someone else to do it? You're not going to make a perfect system. See, the reality is voluntarism, libertarianism, anarchism, these things don't promise perfection. It's all the other things that promise. Well, if everybody just did what we said, it would all be okay. Prevent, pre, teaching people to voluntarily associate is one of the most valuable things we can do to solve our future problems. Every major problem we have is solvable if we get out of the centralized mindset. You want to fix the water problem? Decentralize it. You want to fix energy? Decentralize it. You want to fix food? Decentralize it. You want to fix health? Decentralize it. Every problem that we can see in all of these major, I mean, these huge monumentous things affecting the whole world. Every time you start examining real-world solutions, it comes through decentralization. Decentralization requires voluntary association. 
The next thing is it'll actually require individuals to truly evaluate their own success and failure. See, right now, the, the, the good is the, is the bad at the same time. So I want, now I want Merit Badge B. I look in a book, and it says, do these things. I do these things, I get signatures on it, and then I get validated by a third party. You know? I go, I go to the next jamboree or whatever, and or the next meeting, and I get my badge, and I get to put it on, and everybody goes, oh, look, he did that. There's some value there. I'm not I'm not crapping on that because there is a a a a a hurdle. And if you don't clear the hurdle and instead you knock the hurdle over, then you have to go start over and keep until until we get to the end of the the 100 meters and all the hurdles are still up. And then no matter how long it took you to get there, you did it. And that's valuable and that's one of the great things I think about the existing structure. But in the end, what you're learning is also that someone outside of yourself determines when you're good enough and when you've tried your hardest. And you know what that does? That creates the same 10 hurdles in the same 100 meters for everybody. And some kids just go, dum, 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 and they, they, you know, they, they run it in, 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 I don't know, 9, 10, 11 seconds, metaphorically. They clear every hurdle the first time. They don't even care, and they get a badge because they have that quality. They're just able to. And then some kids bust their shins and whatever, and, and eventually they get through it, and then they say to themselves, I didn't even care about that race, but I had to have that one. And both have learned in totally different ways that somebody other than you evaluates what success and failure is. And we've convinced ourselves that that's necessary. That if we just let people evaluate their own success and failure, that they'll just always say, I'm super, I'm super. No, that's not what people do. Usually a child attempting to get something done that does a rather okay job with it is unsatisfied with their own results. And you have to actually tell them, you know what, Johnny, you did, you did really good on that this time. You can do better and, and we'll help you get there. But you should be proud of what you did. And Johnny's, I, uh, right? Okay, so we take that away when we create artificial success and say now it's good enough. Where, where Johnny or Debbie are likely to actually push themselves further if they're encouraged and allowed to self-evaluate success and failure. And if individual organizations say, hey, look, this is what we think is success for this, And then people look at that and go, that's insane. And you know what? There won't be any people there. Or there'll be a very small number of very, very high-level successful people that are part of that group. It'll be a special forces unit of scouting. And that's okay, too. But my kid can't do that. Then you find what works. And better off, instead of bitching about that, you create what works. You be part of it. Don't expect somebody to do it. Again, every time someone says... Who will, what they're actually saying is, I don't want to. We're saying, who will do it for me? And that's what it, that's what it always really comes down to. I, I see this in so many things. My, my son is coaching baseball for four-year-olds. I find this to be a horrendous mistake. I don't think four-year-olds need to be playing baseball. I don't think they have the attention span for it or whatever. But he has parents already bitching. Now, my kid's 25 years old. 
25 years old and taking the time to teach your four-year-old, who you haven't even taught what a base is, how to play baseball, that their kid's not being put in the right position okay, on the field because they're not being moved around each, each time the way that they feel they should be when their kid's sitting out in the outfield picking up clay off the diamond and filling their glove up with it, and these parents are bitching, but they take no responsibility. They don't help out. I mean, it's hard to get four-year-olds to know what to do. Right? We have limits like T-ball, and they can only take one base, and after five runs, they switch innings and, and all that stuff. But what you end up with is, you know, like the games I've gone to a couple times, I'm standing out in the field telling the kid when to run. It, it's, not, it's not like, you know, seven-year-olds playing. You can have as many adults on the field as you want telling them what to do, but all they do is sit on their asses and complain. And what they see this is, is, you know what, there's a couple practices a week, I drop them off, it's free daycare, it's on you. You take care of it, and because there's a name over it, an organization, the guy that you're dropping your kid off with must be safe. And they do have background checks and all, I mean, I'll give them that, but see, it's, it's a level of, I'm not responsible, somebody else do this for me. I mean, frankly, and this is where I think decentralization works. If I was running a baseball league for little kids, I wouldn't start at four. I'd start at five, maybe, and I'd say, this is, this is the deal, parents. Um, when you bring your child to play, You make sure that they know what a base is, they know what a hit is, they know how to get an out, they understand the very low-level basics of how the game is played, or don't bring them. Okay? Now, is that right or wrong? It's not right or wrong. It's neither. It's me. It's what I would do. And the only way you get that is decentralization, because then that idea has to compete. Parents either like that or they don't. People either participate or they don't. I think when you set the bar a little higher, you get a better quality of a group. And I think that's why the, the quality has been so amazing in scouting. Because the bar, especially until recently, has been pretty damn high. I remember, the I, I can't find the infographic, but somebody sent me an infographic years back, and I don't remember if it was 1915 or 1920, but it was what a Boy Scout had to do to get a merit badge for camping. Then and now. And now it's like, write this and uh, explain environmental impact of humans or something. And it, you know, spend one night in a tent in the backyard or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know anymore. And I don't want to overly belittle it. But what I want to tell you is that what it required in the past was like 40 nights of camping in primitive conditions. It was like one, it might have been 20 or 40, but it was a sign, it was like, wow. Wow. I didn't have to. I was even thinking I didn't have to do that. And then I thought to myself, well, maybe it would be good if instead of trying to have people have, you know, 500 badges or whatever, they had a few, but they really had to earn them. Like, as how many other things would you learn doing that? Like, you now have to deal with this situation. But is that is that a good idea? Does that work in modern society where people have far less time to do things like this? I don't know, but if you had a decentralized organization the different components would all sort themselves out and people would decide what gives them what they're looking for. And if, if, if something really sucks, then it just fails, and that's okay. We need to be okay with it, the fact, like, well, Tom and, and Bill have two kids that go to school together and they set up a group and it didn't work. Okay, good. That's great, because we just learned how not to do that. And their crappy idea and their crappy organization failed and there's no faults sense of, of, of belonging from a central authority to hold it up as a failure and call it a success. That's great. 
you know. And then these two guys over here, uh, they put together this group, and they 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 didn't even you know keep boys and girls separate. They put boys and girls together, and they have like a church guy involved, but they also have like this secularist guy involved. And this is all crap. I would never do this, but it's like it's like kicking ass. You know, whatever bothers you, just say that there's some of that going on there. But nobody's being hurt. The five goals and six goals are being met. You know, um, the kids are happy. The parents are happy. Everybody's happy. And they're succeeding in what they're doing. That's great. Because we just learned that works, whether you said it works or not. And I think some of the people that are big on controlling other people, their big fear isn't that the things they don't want won't work. Their big fear is the things they don't want might not only work, but work better than their way. I just want things to work, and I want everybody to be happy, and I want everybody to be treated with respect, and I want people that feel that they have not been treated with respect to have an option to just go off and do their own thing. That's why I think this model works. And it allows freedom for all involved. I think if we're not promoting freedom, then whatever we're doing isn't worth doing. And I think freedom means freedom for all. Not freedom for everybody that agrees with you. Like I looked into some of the alternative scouting groups that have popped up, and some are like, there's there are two reactionary sides. One is going all the way into the religious world and saying we're now a church scout thing, so you can't have gay people involved, period. And the other one's to go, we are the open rainbow of scouting. Like that's the problem. That's not the problem. That's not the problem. Taking a group that was supposed to turn boys into men and making it a group that makes boys into wusses in men's bodies. That's the problem. That's the problem. And that problem can be solved because most people still get what's important. They still understand what's important in the world. So how it would work, I think you'd have like this social media type website, or like I said, maybe just an aggregation. Something really simple and low tech. Like so many things can be done with groups, and you know, what if there was just a place where like all the all the the, the groups just listed like their own website and said like this is what we do, and here's our Facebook group and whatever. And it was just like a place to find everybody, and nothing actually happened there other than this is where we are, this is where we're at, like a directory. It could be that simple. People then share what works for them and what doesn't. We tried this, it didn't work. And so somebody else is going to say, you know what, we did that, it worked great. And then some third group is going to look at that and go, we were thinking about doing that. Why did this group fail and why did this group succeed? And that doesn't mean that they'll say, now we're going to do it and follow the second group's example. It might be, well, it failed because for group A because they're a lot like us and it just doesn't work for people that are organized this way or live in this region or have these constraints upon their time or only have so much involvement from their community or whatever. And it worked for Group B because they have assets or involvement or something that we don't really have. So it's not that it's a bad idea. It just doesn't work for us. And now we're not going to waste time and energy and upset people and go into that. And everybody looking at it together, making a collective group decision in your own autonomous group can, can evaluate that and say, yeah. And if somebody says, well, I, I think we can do that anyway. Well, then either they have got to then take the information, go out and show the rest of the group, hey, look, Here's how we've solved that issue, and we still think it's worth doing. Or they go off and create their own group. Well, what creates cohesion? Desire. Voluntary association. Right? See, as long as you're worried, well, somebody might leave or quit or whatever, that's fine. People quit all the time anyway. You ask any scout leader, one of his biggest problems, it's attrition of the scouts themselves. 
right? I mean, I think I, if I was running, now again, this is not how to run the whole thing, but if I was running a group, the first question I would have, if I'm a leader of a group of, of young men coming to do this or a, a co-ed group or whatever would be, I want you to honestly tell me if this is something that you want to do. Do you, do you want to be involved? And if they say no, I'm sorry, we don't believe in coercion here. It's not up to us to convince your son, daughter, etc. that they want to do this. This has to be voluntary. Now, you might say, you know what, sometimes kids need to be forced to do things, and I think it's then that's what your group does. See, how easy, see, all these things that we would argue about don't matter anymore. You get to run your thing, I get to run my thing. Ain't that great? What a great way to run a country or a world. Just saying. Um, again, groups form on voluntary association. And I, I'd say if you had any kind of moderation on a website, to, to a, a portal, a hub, it would only be to keep things off that are like pornography, illegal, um, true hate stuff. Like if somebody wants to start a group and call it the uh, the young uh, knights of, of the Ku Klux Klan. Sorry, no, that's, I mean, there are things that 95% of all people just look at and go, nope. If 51% of people look at it and go, nope, that's nice, then go do your shit with your 51%. When you have 85, 90% of people going, nah, nah, that's not, that's not what this is about, then you nuke that. And that's why I think kind of doing it in this like portal model would be better. Because that takes away a lot of, because here's what happens. Well, we can create something like, like the site I try to create for adults called 13 Skills and make that, and then everybody interacts, and then there's different skill sets, and you pick and choose, and it's all in one place. Well, that requires an administrator, that requires money. I mean, the type of thing I'm talking about could be run on, on, uh, you know, $100 in hosting a year. And, and we, honestly, the more I think about it, it could be set up with a directory script. And it's up to you. If you want to run your whole thing on a Facebook page and just say, this is where you can find out more about us, facebook.com, you know, Alabama uh, Scouts123, whatever, that's fine. If you want to have a website because somebody in your group builds a website for you, that's fine. I think this would be really cool. Um, the next thing would be, I think that it would be a good idea to have some kind of unifying symbol, some sort of uniformity, right? Something that just says, I'm part of something bigger, and we have these common goals and these common values. But I think it could be something like a single emblem that's on a patch, like a Velcro patch that can go onto anything, that can go onto your bag or whatever, like a military-style thing, or maybe even just a challenge coin. And I think that emblem should be completely open source. Anybody anywhere can have it put on anything that they want to, They can buy it for themselves. They can sell it. And because that's no monopolies, you know, no, you pick it on the Girl Scouts for a little bit. No, no paying seven bucks for a dollar's worth of cookies. Right. And, and then having the troop get 50 cents out of it or, or whatever the hell the numbers work out today. None of that. So if you decided, Hey, I, you know what we want to do? We want to, we want to make a challenge coin with the national organization on the back and our local organization on the front, there's just a template. You can grab that shit and throw it on there, and boom, and it's done. And, and it would be uh, a, a trademarked open source, where the only thing that you would be protecting is the ability of anybody else to, to monopolize and control it. 
That would be like the one real legal piece of work you have to do. And a uniform disclaimer that basically we're not responsible for anything anybody does anywhere. This is just an idea and a portal to find other people with the same ideas. This is a, this is a, this is an, a public intranet for open source scouting organizations to do their own thing. Guided by these six things. That's it. And this is so you can find each other and work with each other and all responsibility falls to the individuals that are involved at the individual level. Um, and I would say it's like scouting Jeet Kune Do, right? For those of you that are familiar with Bruce Lee, I don't really need to explain that, but some of you may not be. Of course, one of the most famous martial artists of all time, um, Bruce Lee, uh, came up with what he called fighting without fighting. Eventually, he, he referred to what he did is Jeet Kune Do. And one of his most famous quotes from that philosophy of fighting was use only that which works and take it from any place that you find it so instead of having these martial arts forms and katas and belts and things what Bruce Lee advocated was if you figure out a way to defeat your opponent because you studied uh, Wing Chun with this guy then use it and if a lot of the other stuff that he taught you was crap leave it And if you happen to be walking down the street and you realize that you can defend yourself from, in a way that has absolutely nothing to do with what anybody would call martial arts, I don't care where you found it, use it. Use what works. Use what works to the exclusion of that which does not would be a paraphrase of it. And I think that's what this would be. You would, over time, figure out what works best. And I want to end with a sobering reality. Why it could work and why it likely isn't going to happen yet anyway. I don't know that there's enough people motivated enough to get it done. I don't know that there's enough people motivated to get two or three groups up and running and demonstrate that it can work. I don't know. I think people have been conditioned in our modern society to want to be validated by a third party. I think people are conditioned to want some level of prestige in everything that they do. Whether or not your, your child's going to complete Eagle Scouts, if you have a scouting history and you were part of Scouts when you were a kid, you know that if I put them in and I get them going and I do manage to get them through it and I do manage to get them their Eagle, there's a certain fraternity there and there's a certain advantage. I mean, it, if you're applying for a job and it turns out that you're an Eagle Scout and the guy hiring you is an Eagle Scout and you're competing against somebody who's just about equal with you, and they're really not sure which way to go, you're probably getting a job. I mean, there is that level of a fraternity there. People want that. People want badges. People want... Why do you think that the, the most successful martial arts schools have belts? Because they actually do anything to validate anything, or because people want that? So I, I think that there's a problem with a certain level of willingness to do things for ourselves and not lean on a larger bureaucracy to do things. I think there's a certain attachment to prestige and structure that the average person has. What we're saying is this would be an organization that would require individual action, individual thought, individual organization, individualized control. And the answer to, well, who will do X is you. Or someone else that you are directly connected to that you know on a first name basis and trust to do it and wants to do it. That's the answer. So I don't know if we're ready for it yet. I would be willing to throw up the portal. I, I think I could do that. Um, I think I could do that in a, probably.
probably a day. It's not a day that I'm going to have any time in the next couple weeks. But basically a directory-based site with a couple pages that explain and outline the mission and the orientation. And I think if I do it, it'll sit there and no one will do anything. But I might do it anyway. Because it's the thing that I can do. It's the thing that I can do. I know this. The best way to fix the current problem in the current system is to leave the current system behind or at least hold it by the cojones. I'll tell you right now, I'll tell you right now, that with a million adults connected to scouting, if 100,000 of you guys, if 10% contacted your, your central authority, okay, your guy that's making $1.2 million a year sitting on his ass, Um, and said, you know what, I'm done if you're going to do this. I, I'm not giving you my time and my talent and my energy. I'm going to take my kids, I'm going to go do something independent with them until you come to your senses, and we're not going to do this. We're not going to be part of this. If you're gonna, If you're going to be this ridiculous, that edict would be rescinded in about 15 seconds. What's happened is the people that mean the most well for this organization, the mission-oriented people, have incrementally accepted the organization turning into a monstrous bureaucracy that's more concerned about being politically correct than getting the mission done. And it's been done so slowly over such a long period of time, it's just, well, it's another thing, but we still have all this great stuff. And it's another thing, but we still have all this. Where's the line in the sand? I mean... If you think my idea is totally crazy, then fix your own boat, at least. Demand this go away. Don't, don't accept anymore. See, if you have an organization that takes in a billion dollars a year and can afford to pay you know, key employees over a million dollars a year, but it's mostly run by volunteers, you may have been convinced that the central authority has the power, but they don't, you do. It's just if they have enough of you brainwashed to continue to accept their bullshit, that even if some of you say the heck with it, there's enough of the volunteers there left to let them in charge. And that's what's happened. There's been people that have walked away from this for a long time. But there's never been an organized dissent that I know of. There's a million of you guys out there. There's two million youth. They make all their money with you. And that's the reality. It might be not for profit, but that doesn't mean not profitable. Let me tell you right now, an organization that takes in $1.2 billion and in that has about a million people doing work as volunteers and not being paid or compensated is making a profit. They're just not paying a tax on it. And they're paying off a lot of big salaries for, for quite a few individuals. That in the end are the ones that tell you what you can and cannot do. So if my idea is crazy, fix your own boat. I think my idea has merit. And I wonder how many things could be done like this. You know, scouting was just the topic of the day-to-day, -day, folks. It really was. There's, there's a lot of problems in society, I think, that could be solved with this. But I think when it comes to getting kids involved, this might be the way to do it. Because let's say, well, my thing is I want to teach kids permaculture. Well, why can't your scout group be, you know, based on that? Well, that's not what scout. No, no, whoa, 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 whoa. This is no, no, no. This is your you're doing your own damn thing. You do your own damn thing. 
you know? Without funneling the funds that you raise for your group to complete activities with through their nonprofit that they pay themselves with. How would you do that? I don't know. Maybe when you go do an activity that requires money and every kid pays for it, nobody centrally takes care of the payments. They're all made individually, so there's there's no central place for that money to go except the end business, and there's no funnel for it to run through and what have you like that. I don't know. We won't know until we try. Anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And if, if you are someone involved in scouting and this upsets you today, I'm sorry that taking an honest, real look at your organization upsets you, but then you shouldn't be upset with me. You should be upset with your organization. And, you know, I individually picked on BSA today quite a bit because they're the biggest, but I think this is the, I think this is the case with all of these groups. I think that's, it's, again, it's the iron law of bureaucracy. The people committed to the organization end up controlling it. The people committed to the mission end up being controlled. And it's always a very small number of people in the bureaucracy compared to the people doing the mission because the people doing the bureaucracy don't accomplish the mission and therefore are dependent on those that do to fund their existence. There has to be more of you than there are of them or the system breaks. Remember that. Again, hopefully, I know this show was totally out of left field, but hopefully it got a lot of you guys thinking about different problems and how they can be solved and how you can do voluntary association-based organizations. How you can have a self-organizing, decentralized group accomplish great things. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. The revolution is you. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
Yeah.